Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. What it is, right? Listen, there's, do you think there's been days I didn't get up and didn't want to come to church? There's been those days. It's not that I didn't want to see your smiling faces. I just didn't want to get out of bed, you see. Everybody has those days. Uh, and sometimes you just don't feel like it, right? Uh, but either way, today wasn't one of those days. I knew that the devil was going to be prevalent today, probably more prevalent than he has been. Not that he really is. It just seems like it sometimes. But here's what I know. I know where my strength comes from. I know who's in control. I know who's in charge. And I know who's going to be with us today. Amen? And so, friends, I want to, I want to share something with you as we look at this uh, next message in our sermon series. It's number three. Uh, we talked about how we have to develop truth-speaking pastors. Uh, and then last week, we talked about how we have to uh, uh, develop uh, truth-preaching and teaching, right? And you would think, well, gee whiz, they kind of go together. Yeah, they do, but they don't, too, uh, because they're separate things. And today, I want to talk with you about how we have to live by truthful doctrine, I think doctrine is a word that people don't really understand what it means. We hear it a lot, but we don't know what it means. And, and here's something else that's going to happen. I remember uh, when I was a kid, uh, of course, when I was a kid, we used uh, records. Uh, some of them were vinyl, uh, and some of them were kind of a, a fiberglass material. They called them glass, glass records, but they, were, they weren't near as pliable. You could take the vinyl ones, and you could do this with them. You shouldn't, but you probably did. Uh, my first record uh, was the Beatles' Abbey Road. Anybody know who, who, that, who that is? I would think in this crowd you might know who they are. Yeah, some people might not, but you do. Uh, but anyway, that was my first, it was a 33. Remember, you had 33s and 45s were the smaller ones, right? They also had 78s. Who remember 78s? They were in the middle, yeah. And you could, you could stack them up, and if, in fact, your little thing would click in and drop it properly, it would play in succession, right? It would go to the end and play. But sometimes you get a skip in your record, and you'd be singing, all of a sudden the skip would happen. Or sometimes you'd be singing along with it, and, it, and all of a sudden the previous verse started playing again. Remember, it, over and over, and it kept jumping back and playing that same one over. Broken record, we call it. Remember that? Yesterday, uh, I was uh, uh, sitting with my, my son Frank, and we were watching, getting ready to watch, well, we watched Indiana smoke uh, Michigan State, which I couldn't believe it, but I used seem to have a ball team this year. Uh, either way, they've never had a football team, but they seem to now. Anybody, did you know that? Who knows that Indiana University has a good football team? They're, they're number 10 in the nation. Stunning. I don't think I've, in my lifetime, I've never, all the way back to Lee Corso before that, they stunk. <laughs> Basketball is their game. Football was not, right? And it, but they have a team this year. So we're watching them play Michigan State 24 to nothing, and I get ready to watch Notre Dame, you know, do their thing, because, of course, they're number two in the nation. Of course, everybody, you should know that if you don't. I just told you. Uh, I hope they maintain it. We'll see. Anyway, so I, I'm, I got, I had this, uh, we get, got rid of, we cut the cord. I cut the cord several months ago from DirecTV, uh, and, I'm, and I'm grateful and I'm not grateful because I tried alternatives. I've got uh, these things called stealth boxes that they're made in China, uh, and you can use your internet, and you can pretty much watch any station anywhere in, in the United States. Uh, I can pick up stuff from Alaska, you know, Hawaii, wherever. I can, you know, whatever. And so that's kind of neat. And so I was watching one of the Hawaii stations because I missed a show because it was too late. And so I just clicked into one of the Hawaii stations. And, of course, they're six hours behind. Guess what? I get to watch primetime Hawaiian style, right? And I got to, I got to hear uh, the people talk about things that are familiar to me, uh, Kama Ainas. Kama Ainas are people who live in Hawaii. So I thought, okay, that's kind of cool. Kama and hang loose, right? So that was kind of neat. And as I was watching these things, you know, uh, so, but it, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. And I was asking John what he uses, uh, and he says his isn't perfect either. Here, here's the thing. Whenever you get away from mainstream things, uh, they may not work right all the time. And so as you, as you, as you think about this, this broken record and playing all over again, yesterday when we were watching this ball game, 
uh, it, it cut to commercial, and the commercial played. And then the, and I was, and I had to pick up Notre Dame uh, out of the UK, out of Britain, because ABC doesn't have a deal with the people that put this box together, and so I only have the other station, but no ABCs. So to get it, I have to go to Sky Sports or something like that. That AB, it's an ABC affiliate that picks up in Canada or the UK. Okay, so I'm watching a station in the UK, and Frank and I were laughing because everything is in pounds when they were talking to it. You know, and everybody's got an accent. It was like it's like being in a Twilight Zone. And and then so they cut to a commercial, uh, and and then it started. It, this commercial started to play, and then the commercial played again, and then it played again. And I'm thinking, why is this? This is live TV. What's go? Where's the broken record? And come to find out, it was in the box. And if it if it glitches. Uh, it just plays what it saw last. It just keeps playing the same thing over and over again. In the meantime, Notre Dame's playing along, and I didn't get to see part of that. And, and I thought, you know, nobody likes to hear broken records, and nobody likes to watch the same commercial over and over and over again. I like commercials anyway. Do you? And once in a while, the box will mess up, and it'll play the same scene that I just saw on a TV show. It'll just keep, and I'm like, I know something's wrong then, see? And it frustrates me when I do that. It frustrates you when you hear the same thing over and over and over again, doesn't it? Today's message may seem like a broken record to you. It may seem like the first, the first message and the second message and now this one are all the same. And, and, I, and, I, and I brought that concern to the Lord and I said, God, they're, they're going to start getting upset with me because I, I seem to be saying the same thing over and over again. And God said, why, why would they be upset? He said, first of all, Every message that you've done, it's all been based on different scripture. So if I want to repeat myself, am, am I allowed to do that? Uh, yes, sir. He said, okay. Did I tell you to put this together? Did I help you? Yeah. Did God tell him to come to that church? Yeah. Okay, then preach what I told you. And if this sounds like a broken record, maybe I'm trying to get somebody's attention. Maybe the church needs to hear more broken record stuff because they don't seem to be listening the first time. That's what he said to me. That's okay. And so I began to think about it some. I thought, okay, well, then I'm just going to preach it the way God gave it, and let's see what he says. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Going to be looking at the first five verses of 2 Timothy 4. Now, this is the first time I've been in here. Now, I've made some references to it, but it's the first time I've ever used it as their subject scripture in this sermon series. So 2 Timothy comes right after 1 Timothy, in case you didn't know that. Okay, so it's toward the end of the Bible, before Hebrews, okay? Around Titus and James, you'll find it in that area. And so 2 Timothy chapter 4, first five verses, emphasis on 2 to 4. Okay, listen to this. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of His appearing and His kingdom... I give you this charge. In other words, look at Paul's saying. Because of God, because of Christ and His coming back, because of who He is, what He is, and His authority to judge right and wrong in the living and the dead, I, because of that, I give you this charge. That ought to make you think, oh, better listen. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Did you hear that? Sound doctrine. And doctrine is the word that is used in all of the versions, because that's the Greek word. It means doctrine. So now we got to look at doctrine because God just used it. Amen? Amen? So, men will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, preach it. And scroll back up just a second into verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth 
and turn aside to myths. In other words, anything that's not verbatim in here is a myth. Let that sink into your brain for a minute. If it deviates, if it deviates in any way from this which is called the truth, it is a what? It's a myth. Does it matter who believes it? Does it matter how popular it is? No. It's a myth. And you know what? People are not going to like to hear that. Because we want to interpret the Bible any way we want to. God says, no. If it's not in here, it's a myth. Now, notice what else Paul says. He says, preach the word. Now, I begin to think, okay, well, we know what that means, but do we? Do we really know what that means? Does it mean that we can embellish the word? Does that mean that's what preaching is, embellish the word? To some pastors it is. Does it mean we can take anything out that we don't like? Some pastors do. Can we modify it in any way? Some do. Can we pick and choose which passages we're going to preach and which ones we're going to stay away from? A whole bunch of them do that. And yet, we, haven't we uh, done all of these things just as Paul said we would do? Look at why Paul says we must preach it. Because people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it anymore. And so, who's they? Who's Paul talking about? Who's he referring to? Well, friends, I have to tell you something. And I want you to fasten your seatbelts here, hang on to your pew, or grab a hold of your neighbor. Well, don't do that. But whatever you're going to do, hang on here, because let me tell you who Paul's talking about. He's not talking about unsaved or unbelievers. You understand that? He's talking to people in the church. He's speaking to the church. I mean, clearly, if, if those he's referring to want to gather around preachers who will tell them what they want to hear, the only people that do that are those that go to church. They're the only ones that go to listen to pastors. They're the only ones that gather in the sanctuary to listen to the Word of God or whatever's offered that day. I, I, I think we've got to start right there. You've got to understand this. This is what Paul is saying. Has it happened? Come on, friends. Has it happened? I believe it has. And I'm pretty sure I can prove it. The only problem is people don't want it to be proven any more than they want to hear it in the first place. Right? You, you could show somebody something that doesn't want to believe what you're showing them, and no matter what it says or what you can prove, they, they don't want to. Well, I see it, but I don't believe it. It's right there. I, well, I've always believed. I've always thought. Grandma said... You, you can't convince someone who doesn't want to be convinced. If you don't want to seek truth, you won't find it. If you don't want to study and let the Word convince you, then you won't be convinced. <laughs> if you don't want it, you won't get it. If you're not in there, you won't get it. And if you don't want to be convinced of what it says, you won't do it. If you pick and choose, move around, and pick out the things that you like and the things that you don't, leave them aside, then you'll never have the completeness of the Word of God. You'll never have it. Why? Not because it isn't there, because you don't want it. You know, if you're going to pick and choose what you want to study in here, if you want to pick and choose what you want to believe and what you don't, just put it back up on the shelf and don't ever take it down again. Problem solved. Because, like we heard last week, a half-truth is a whole lie. <laughs> isn't it? Half-truth is a whole lie. What Paul is saying is that the church will only be safe from apostasy as long as we have truthful doctrine. Now, there's two words you may not be able to put together and don't know what they mean, doctrine and apostasy. I'm going to use them, but I'm going to tell you what they mean because it's important. First of all, apostasy comes from the Greek word apostasia. Apostasia. And it means to abandon, to depart, to defect. 
or revolt. Apostasia, apostasy. This means, friends, that the church will depart, defect, revolt, or abandon the truth of the word in its doctrine either now, in the present, or in the future. Or it maybe has already done it. I suspect it's already begun. And I think we're just rolling forward now. And my question is, what do you think we've done? Be honest with yourself. Friends, we have to desire and live through sound biblical teaching and the doctrine that comes from it. Which is not just the teaching, but the belief of it. You know, here, here's what I can't stand. I can't stand it, and I'm not saying anybody here has done it, but I can't stand it. When I stand at the back door, yeah, people come in and say, hey, great sermon today. Or at Emmaus, people say, man, what a talk. Oh, my gosh. Or a teaching, oh, my gosh. And then they do nothing with those things. You might like what's told, but if you don't do something with it, you're just getting yours tickled too. Might as well tell you a lie. <laughs> Why is it that we tend to move on a lie and sit on the truth? But that's true, isn't it? It's been done a lot. You see, in other words, doctrine is the truth that was believed so, for so many centuries up until it wasn't. <laughs> All the things we used to believe in the church, we're throwing them out. Listen, I'm not opposed to modern movement. I'm not opposed to making things more modern, more relevant, and more up-to-date. I'm not opposed to that. But when it starts to get away from the doctrinal belief systems that we've always had because they were the truth, now I've got a serious problem. The church isn't here to cater to your needs. That's what John Kennedy was talking about when he, when he gave his speech at inauguration. Ask not what your country can do for you, but rather what you can do for it. That's what God is trying to tell. God, God doesn't need you to come here so he can pat you on the back and rub, rub, your, rub your head or whatever it is you want. Okay? God's here to convict you and to teach you and to get you to the point where you want to be better for him. That's what he wants to do. And you can't get that if you're walking in and you want the music you want to hear and the style you want to hear it and the, and, and the, the message delivered with a smile and bless your heart. And isn't God great and God so loved the world that he came and he gave his only begotten son. Isn't that grand? We're beyond that. We're... Most churches should be way beyond that. Amen. We know Christ came to save us. But what does a saved life look like now? Okay? Shouldn't we be onto that now? Shouldn't we? Friends, come on. You, you, you learned John 3.16 when you're in uh, Sunday school as a little kid. And, and, and let's, let's say you came to Christ later in life. Well, that was several Sundays ago that that happened. You're, you're beyond that now. We already know that happened. So now, why don't we talk about something that's relevant with it now? Okay? You see? If we don't get back to this known belief system, then we're in danger of losing everything we've ever worked for. Amen. If we don't get back to what the church has always believed, it only changed in the last couple of decades. Okay? We're going to lose everything we've worked for. What are you talking about? Do you, are you saying, Pastor, that we can actually lose our salvation due to apostasy? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm 100% saying that. You know why? Because John says we can. Listen, I'm just repeating what the Apostle John's saying. John says we can. Second John, the second epistle, verses 8 and 9, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for. He says it right there. What, you don't lose it, okay? But that you may be fully rewarded. 
Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You see, some people were trying to split the two, and I've been telling you for two weeks that people are trying to do that. Can't have the Son without the Father. Do you understand that? And you've got to have the Father, friends. Without the Father, you're lost. You're lost. I'm telling you right now. Jesus only won't fly because God says it doesn't. And that means you can't just listen to good things in the New Testament and throw everything else out. Okay? Because Jesus was convicting just like the Father was. Of course, we, don't, we skip over those things. You see, this is deeper than that even. Paul says in 2 Timothy, uh, the first chapter, verse 13, that while preaching and teaching, we're to hold on to the example of sound words. That's what he says. With preaching and teaching, whoever's doing it ought to hold on to the example of sound words. But what he's saying is, it's the duty of the church. Listen to me. It's the duty of the church, those who hear sound preaching and teaching, to conform to this truthful doctrine so that it can be saved and remain saved. It's your duty to do something with what you're taught. But how do we accomplish this in a world with so many modern sound beliefs? Right? Because these people are convicted in their heresy. Do you understand that? They're convicted in unsound doctrine because they want to believe it. Listen, when you want to believe something, you can. Things can be whatever you want them to be if you believe it. I had a person tell me, can you really pass a polygraph all the while lying? Yes. Yes, you can. But you've got you to convince yourself of the lie to do it. Once you've convinced yourself, when, now, now the, the, the things in your, your, your brain function, your heart function, your breathing, that stuff doesn't change when you believe it. You understand? doesn't change. So yes, you can. Yes, you can. And if you, if you can pass a policy, that's why it's not admissible in court. It's just used as a tool. Because the fact of the matter is, if, if you could convince yourself, then to you that's reality. It doesn't make it so, but to you it is. And you know what I think? I think there's a lot of people out there who are believing in a reality that isn't true. They think that this world can get them saved. They think that the, the, the devil has sound advice. They wouldn't say that, but that's what they're believing. I mean, we've heard the last two Sundays that we need to develop truth-preaching pastors and teachers and that we need them to preach and teach truthfully and obviously. That's what you heard. But Paul is saying that having those two factors is not enough. Because people will simply leave truthful pastors and truthful preaching to go where they feel more comfortable, <laughs> where it's more relevant to them. Why? Because they want to hear what they want to hear. And if they don't like it, what will they do? Go somewhere else. And they'll keep going until they find what they want. They will. They are. They have. Which means, friends, that a truthful pastor and truthful preaching won't be liked or won't be popular. Because the majority of Christians today don't want to hear the absolute truth. They want to believe what they want to believe just like the rest of the world. It's different, mind you. Paul says they have a form of religion, but they deny its power. That's what he said. So what's happened? I mean, has this happened? Have truthful preaching pastors and truthful preached doctrine, truthful preached sermons, are those pastors the most popular? No. No, they're not. Some are. Some have had to get popular first so that they could do this. Do you understand that? They had to get popular first, then they could do it. 
But I can't do that because that's, that's a compromise to me. God didn't tell me to get popular first. But I'm grateful that there, 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 those that are out there, they're doing it. So you tell me, is it happening? I mean, why else would a truthful pastor or truthful preaching not be liked? Or why wouldn't people flock to hear it? Why wouldn't they? The Bible gives us reasons. Amen. And believe me, people will not want to hear why. <laughs> but here they are. Here's the reasons. First, one has to be a truly converted Christian. You have to be a truly converted Christian. And I began to think about that, and I thought, okay, they're going to ask me, well, what do you mean by that? Even if you don't come up and ask me, in your mind you're thinking, well, what does he mean by that? Is he trying to say I'm not? Look, friends, it ain't up to me. Either you're saved or you aren't. You're converted or you aren't. Okay? Do you know if you're converted or not? I do. I know I'm converted. <laughs> Pastor Bob, are you converted? Bishop, are you converted? They know. If you don't know, you're not. Okay. I'm supposed to say you're probably not. But the fact is, if you don't know, you're not. Because the Bible says you know that you know. That you know. Yeah? You know if you've converted. It isn't about going through motions. It's about what happens in here. You know the changes. You know. So the grassroots meaning is to change a thing or person into something else. And believe me, God changed me from what I was into something very different. Anybody here know that? Did God change you? Wow. For some people, it's a massive change. Huh? For some people, they were pretty good in the first place. Maybe they grew up in church and knew how to, you know, talk the talk, but they just need but they didn't do it all the way, so now God's done it. And it's, a, it's more subtle. But for some, it's huge. You see, biblically, conversion is the mental or moral change in a person that begins with, first of all, the belief of the gospel, but it ends in disobedience. You understand? It ends in disobedience. And here's why. Because if you are really changed, you will be obedient. Amen. But if you're not obedient, that's disobedience. And that means it ends. The conversion stops right there. And some people are like, well, wait a minute. I'm obedient most of the time. I don't, maybe I didn't do it all. But, but don't you think I'm still saved? Uh, it is not to me. But I don't want to take the chance. I'm guessing no. I think God wants total obedience. What do you think? So I guess what I'm saying is when the mental or moral change in you begins to take place and you believe in the gospel, your ending ought to be obedience, not disobedience. If you're being obedient, you're converted. Okay? Does this mean that many Christians have never really been converted? Yes. Yes. 100% that's what it means. What I'm saying is that the Bible teaches this. It isn't my opinion. It's what the Bible says. I believe it. And furthermore, I can, I can prove it. That's how I'm going to do it. I'm watching people do it all day. They're doing it all the time. And the truth of the matter is if, that if people don't want truthful teaching and preaching and they want to depart from the, from the known doctrine of truth, yeah, they're likely not converted. <laughs> they're likely not. Maybe our Baptist brothers and sisters have something right. I think that part of it is probably right. Maybe there's a lot of people that were never actually saved. But my argument with them is, but if somebody really was saved, and they leave it, okay, and the Bible says you can do that. <laughs> That's my difference. But I think they're right. Maybe some people never really were. I think the church is filled with people that have never really converted. Not really. Okay? Why? Because converted people crave to know more so that they can be stronger and they can be better in the faith. And I've seen some of you out here and you've said, you won't miss church because you, you crave it. You want to learn more. I, I can't tell you the, the letters, the emails, 
the phone calls and the personal conversations I've had with people says, whatever you do, don't stop teaching us. Don't stop doing that. I crave that. Great. But what are you doing with it? You doing something with it? You see, the scripture is so full of truth that it puts the responsibility for conversion squarely on the people. It's their responsibility to be converted and saved. you understand that? God offers the plan, but you've got to decide. If you don't convert, you can't say, well, God didn't convert me. It's, got, it's not up to him. He, le- he gave you the plan. Follow the plan. And guess what? Conversion happens. <laughs> right? It happens. It's our responsibility to be converted and saved because God has given us the means and we must act upon it, period. Psalm 19, Acts 15, Matthew 18, Matthew 13, and James 5 clearly talk about this. They say that conversion is the prime duty of the Christian and it's the supreme work of the church. Why? Because conversion denotes a total change in the person and turning from their sins to God. It's a total change. You change from the sins that you're in to God. Who is sinless? Clearly the Bible says this. Psalm 51.13 says that God is the author of this change and the word of God is the means of the change. According to Psalm 19.7. Okay, but what, what's changed in conversion? Well, first of all, Romans 10.10 says there's a change of heart. <laughs> and I know it happened to me, boy. Anybody know? It happened to me. Anybody else change? Your heart change? Anybody home? Anybody at Mecca? You got, did, you, did you guys change in your heart when you got saved, when you converted? Oh, brother. And with that change of heart comes a change of conduct, believe it or not. Okay? By repenting and surrendering so that God can reform us. He says so in Acts 26. And then we have this change in our relationship and our status with God. It isn't that wonderful. Because you go from death to light from intestate to in his family like that. Amen. Your status with God changes from unsaved to saved, from dead to life. Yes or no? Yes. That happens immediately. Yes. Yes. Galatians 3, 26 to 27, Paul says so. Thank you. Oh, yes. Now this is easy to understand, but look at it this way. If conversion is required to change these things, and many people in the church haven't been converted... Then what's the result? Well, then the church is weakened by these unconverted members. If you have a church of people and 50% of them are converted and 50% are not, you tell me. That doesn't, see, numbers of people don't mean much. That just means you have a 50% church. <laughs> and maybe the number's higher than that. Maybe 25% are converted and 75% are not. I believe the day is coming when that's going to happen. Now, we all want to be part of the, the church, maybe, but we're not all converted, you see. And the church that doesn't have fully converted members is weak. Guaranteed. It'll be at odds. And a whole lot more. I'll get into that in a minute. You, hear, you know what's going to happen? The church will be inconsistent in its beliefs and practices, first of all. It'll be inconsistent. Because these people over here will do this, and these people over here will do something else. Henceforth, when I'm behind a car at Dairy Queen up in Clinton, and uh, a sticker from a local church is on it, and the people have right next to that sticker, come out, come out wherever you are with a rainbow on it. And the pastor said, we teach it, we preach it, but they're going to think and believe what they want. Right next to a sticker of a local pastor's church. That's what happens, you see. Do I think that person's converted? I do not. I do not. You know what else happens? That church will be divided. Which the church is divided. Have you noticed that? The church is divided. Not just the, the local church, but the church universal has become divided on these very subjects we're talking about. Haven't they? Why? Because many are still interested in serving Satan and conforming to society. They don't, they don't believe that. They don't think that, but that's what they're doing. And Paul says that this is 
<laughs> this just can't happen when a person is converted. He says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and Satan at the same time. You can't serve good and evil at the same time. Jesus said, you will love one and hate the other. Right? He's talking about money, but you understand. We need to turn completely. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 9, and we just talked about this a few weeks ago, right here on Wednesday night. Paul says a complete conversion needs to take place. He told the Thessalonican church that. Because some of them were afraid to be a full-out Christian because of what those neighbors and friends that they had around them would say. And they want to play both sides of the fence. And when you, when you want to be a friend to everybody and never offend anyone and never take a stand on something, I have a doctor of philosophy, friends, and let me tell you what that kind of person is. It's real simple. You don't need a doctor to figure it out. If you won't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Okay? Real simple. So you have to be truly converted. Secondly, you have to be a truly convicted Christian. Not just converted, but convicted. So what's this word conviction? What does conviction mean? Well, it's a strong persuasion, being convinced, or the state of mind of a person who is sure that he or she believes or says is true. They're convicted that what they're saying is true. They're convicted what they believe is true. Christians are people who are convicted by faith, according to Hebrews 11. And conviction grows out of conversion. You see, if convictions are shallow, what does that tell you about their conversion? Probably non-existent. If you're not convicted as it relates to sin, sinful practice, and compromise of the Word of God, then my guess is you're not converted. Because when you're converted, you're convicted. When I was converted, I was convicted. Anybody? Now, I, I, I might not have followed it every time, but, but God would let me off the hook. Because I was convicted, and I knew I had to change. I made compromises, and I said, but God, but, and I gave him excuses, why not? I said, I know I need to do this, and God said, stop right there. Amen. If you know, that's all that's all's necessary. Don't, because don't, the excuse that's going to come out of your mouth isn't going to change your status at all. If you know, then what are you doing? There's no excuse that's going to hold up in my court or any court. Right there. <laughs> right? I mean, if you know, what's the problem? You see, convicted Christians move the world. They're not moved by the world. Write that down. That might be something John put on the website. Convicted Christians move the world. They're not moved by the world. And I've seen an awful lot of Christians moved by the world, friends. I've, some of them are good friends of mine. and they've been, So my question is, are they convicted? Probably not. And that means they're probably not converted neither. And do I want to think that of people I know? I don't. Because, brother, they've got the stickers on the car, and they're, they're praising, and they're... And I want to be their judge, but God's going to be. You see, the example of Paul tells us otherwise, Philippians 3, Galatians 1, and Acts 20. Not only that, God honors and blesses those who are true to their convictions. Look at Joseph, Daniel, and the three Hebrew boys. Those people would not compromise what they knew to be right. In every one of them, somebody tried to take their life because of it. That's how much they hated their convictions. And this happened to modern-day Christians, too. This happened right here in the United States. And I suspect we're going to see a little bit more of that. You see, the world needs examples of convicted people, Christians who will stand for the right, according to Ephesians chapter 6. I mean, how can one be an example for purity unless you're pure? How can you stand for honesty unless you're honest? How can you stand for Christ and His church unless you're faithful? You can't. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2. I mean, think, church. Paul says that God gave the Scriptures to convict and to give reassurance in Ephesians 4. 
This means a true Christian is someone who's converted and they practice religion that is one of conviction, not of convenience. That's what they do. And let me tell you something. There's a many a time that I'm faced with conviction and convenience. Anybody been there? And it's a hard decision sometimes, especially when you think, well, it's such a small thing. Is it really going to matter? It might not matter to the people in your church, but I bet it matters to God. Think about that. Conviction or convenience. Might not matter to the people in church. Might not matter to anybody around you. They may let you off the hook, but does it matter to God? I think it matters 100% to Him, and He will never let you off the hook. Why? Because God doesn't like compromise. The Bible says he has no respecter of persons. So what you think and believe doesn't matter. What he does matters. And in the end, what's going to matter the most? Yes or no? Thirdly, one must be a truly confirmed Christian. Now, let me explain this one to you because it's probably one you haven't heard for a while, if at all. Confirmed means firmly established to make firm together. Now, this is not a sacrament or a ceremony where a priest or a, or a pastor lays hands on the head of a child and confirms in faith and then adds a confirmed person to the church. Yes, I know that some churches practice this ceremony, and they call it confirmation. I did that as Roman Catholic. There's nothing wrong with it. I, 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 I get it. It's, it's really just telling the person, now you're expected to be better than you have been. But that's not salvation. Okay? Because there's confirmed people that probably never get saved. I, I would say our system is better because we dedicate kids. That's not the child. And then if you want to get baptized, you made the decision. Right? Okay? So to me, I think our system is a little bit better. But the Scripture is filled with this idea of being confirmed. And it actually means teaching, believe it or not. Acts 14, 22, uh, Acts 15, 32, uh, 16, 18, and then Colossians 2, 7, many others. Let me explain it. There's an example in the Scripture of how Paul actually confirmed the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul laid the foundation and the others followed it. Because of their foolishness, Paul warned that every person must take a close look at how he builds. Every person... It's going to take a close look of how you're building your house. Because everybody's doing it. And I think sometimes we're picking materials out of convenience rather than conviction. Here we go again. And we're building our spiritual life with convenience, not conviction sometimes. And you know what the Bible says about that? When you do it and the rains come and the floods rise, what happens? Then has it happened? Paul says, take a close look at what you're building. Okay? Some people, according to Paul, didn't build wisely on the foundation that was laid out by Paul. And as a result, the church at Corinth was divided and it became very sinful. And that resulted in having a very poor reputation in the community. Now, doctrinally weak preaching produces doctrinally weak members. You have to understand this, friends. If your pastor refuses to talk about certain subjects for he's, he or she's afraid it might offend somebody, and if, they won't, if, if they're afraid to come out and say, look, stop it. This has got to end. This is what the Bible says. This is what we've got to do. If they won't do that, here's what happens. Weak, spiritually, people. If that's what you're taking in is feel-good stuff and that's all it is, you tell me what it's building. How would you like it if you sent your kids to school and you expect them to learn their second grade stuff so they can go to third grade and learn their third grade stuff, they can go to fourth grade and build upon those things, but you, you go and all of a sudden they don't, they don't seem like they're making it and you go there and all, you go to school and find out what they're learning and all they're doing is playing games. What would you think? Oh, the, but the kids love their teacher, boy. They love their teacher. And they have so much fun there. They love going to school. Brings new meaning. What did you learn at school today? Nothing. 
But you trust that they're being taught what they need to know to go to the next level, and the next level after that, and the level after that, because it all builds, see, until one day they're going to have to know some things. But if we're not, we, we expect it in the schools, but we don't expect In fact, we chastise it in the church. And you'd be pretty upset if your kid applied to go to, go to college and took the ACT or the SAT college entrance examination test and they couldn't, they couldn't pass a third grade spelling test. You'd be pretty upset. But why aren't we upset when we're doing the same thing in the church and nobody seems to care? Unbelievable to me. Do you know that some pastors out there are more highly educated than any college professor in the world? And you tell me where, where we give the credence. Now, now listen, I'm serious here. Because medical doctors and professors and people like that, they're put on this pedestal and pastors are fit. It's truth. It's, it's an absolute truth. We're not, we're not put on the same level as the professionals. That's scary. Because God says this is number one. That's number one. And this is to help you get to that level. You see where this is going? Morally weak preaching produces morally weak members. You see where this is going? Weak members practice weak Christianity. This builds a weak church, and that's exactly what's happened. The church is no longer respected in society, and it no longer has a big voice in our society. Why? Because it's not relevant anymore. Because we've gotten away from the doctrinal truth that we always knew. Again, I'm not saying not to change the music. I'm not saying not to change how you do things. But we cannot get away from the basic principles of Christianity that were known. And now we seem to want to modify them. If not, just wipe them out altogether. You see, God's way to build the church is what Paul's talking about in Colossians 1. Friends, the church is not strengthened by pats on the back, pastoral visitation, or being entertained in our services. That, that does not build the church. But that's what people expect. Those are the top three things that people say they look for in a church. Do you understand that? That's the top three things. They want to be a pat on the back. They want the pastor to visit. And they want to be entertained in church. That's a fact. And none of those things builds a strong church. None of them. But that's the top three things we look for and we want. Is there any wonder the devil's going? <laughs> Confirmation is knowing what you believe and why, according to 1 Peter 3.15. And sometimes that includes some reproof and correction. And, brother, we don't like that. But it also, according to Paul, brings encouragement. Every single team I've ever coached, whether it was wrestling or baseball or football or whatever it is, and I'll bet you Coach DeLille will tell you the exact same thing. You get somebody that's doing something wrong, okay, and at first they don't want to hear that they're doing it wrong, but when you correct it and they start to fix it and they start to become successful, now all of a sudden it encourages them because they're better. Am I right, Coach? 100%. 100%. Why would it be any different in your Christian life? Well. Fourthly, moving quickly, you have to be a consecrated Christian. Oh, yes. Consecration means separated from common to sacred use. From common to sacred. God has consecrated you. I think the hymn writer got it correct. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. We don't, we don't talk like that anymore. But I understand what the hymnist is trying to say. You see, the Christian belongs to God and as such is separated from the world. Which means the world has no claim on you because you're dead to it. Right? It has no claim because you're, you're dead to it. Paul is so clear on this in Colossians 3. You have no obligation to society at all if you're consecrated to God. Who cares what society thinks? If you're consecrated to God, what do you care what society's going to do? What do you care what they're going to say? What do you care what they're thinking? You shouldn't, because you belong to Him. You're in His kingdom now. Who cares what this kingdom does? You're consecrated. 
So steer clear of the world. Remember the influences on your life. Who ought to be influencing you, him or that? You tell me what most Christians are being influenced by. The reason that they think these things that they do is because they're being influenced by the world and not God and his word. It's real simple. Well, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. 100%. What's your influence? Don't try to live on the borderline. Proverbs 6 says so. 1 Corinthians 15 says so. Consecration solves problems of indifference. It solves problems of apathy. It solves problems of lukewarmness, of confusion, and of compromise. When you're consecrated, those things can't touch you because you're right here. And you're right here. And you're in. Bam! Because that's your influence. Now, not only must you be con consecrated, you have to be consummated. Now, I think you sort of somewhat know what that is, right? You sort of know what it is, but let me help you. Consummated means to bring to completion or perfection. What does your Christian life look like? What does it look like? I mean, you know, and if you don't, ask your neighbor. Ask somebody who's not a Christian what your Christian life looks like. Boy, let me tell you, 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 you you'll, you'll be enlightened. The writer of Hebrews spells it out to us point blank in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 12 to chapter 6, verse 6. I'm going to read it to you. You've got to hear it. In fact, listen to this. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Notice I said constant use. You can't give the Bible a cursory glance once in a while. It's called constant use. That's when you can distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from, from acts that lead to death. You should be on past that, he says. And of faith in God. But instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we're going to do that. That's what he says. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away, which proves that they can, to be brought back to repentance. Why? Because the devil's got his hooks in them so far that they're not going to listen anyway. That's what the writer's saying. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again by subjecting Him to public disgrace. That's what happens when you're not a consecrated and a consummated Christian. You're weak. Tossed to and fro, Paul says, by the chaff, or like the chaff. Friends, this scripture alone ought to bring some people in the church universal to tears. Why? Because if they're honest with themselves, that they know that they're the ones described in this passage. Paul said in Philippians 3 that he hadn't figured it all out yet. He said, I haven't figured this whole thing out yet. And I, I'm with him. I, I haven't figured this whole thing out yet. I don't think any of us have. But I'll tell you what I do know. Just like Paul, okay, like Paul, <laughs> he knew that he needed to continue to press on toward the goal. To win the prize that Christ has promised. He believed he should strive to consummate his personal Christian perfection. Because this would ensure he gained the prize. What about you? When your life ends, when your journey is complete, how will things look for you, do you think? That ought to be important to you. Lastly, you have to be an uncompromising Christian. And this requires, my friends, the right attitude. Now, we have many differences in the church as it relates to instrumental music or just singing. Premillennialism versus postmillennialism. Calvinism versus Arminianism. Materialism, such as what you can wear, how to wear your hair, things of this nature. You understand? 
there, met a girl at one of the banks that I, that I bank at. Uh, she goes to a different church in town. They always, women have to keep their hair up, have to wear skirts. And she told me, her pastor said that that's the truth. And I said, he's wrong. And she said, well, that's what he, I said, he's wrong. Because that's not what it says. I understand why Paul said it. I know what it was for. But if you feel comfortable doing that, and that's your conviction, by all means, it's not wrong. Do what you want. But, but don't judge somebody else who doesn't. Because that's got nothing to do with it. But if you're a person who, you know, wants to show yourself off and get people to look at you, well, now maybe, maybe there's some truth to that. But don't look at me in the eye and tell me that, because your pastor said it, it's true. Come on. Okay? I know we have differences in those things. I get it. So you believe what you want, because that stuff is harmless. I could care less. Because there are differences based on some biblical gray areas where people can come to different conclusions. I get it. I understand, but I'm not talking about these things. They're not disobedience. Most of them are simply preference based on how we understand the Scripture. However, some changes in attitude result in compromising our convictions. And that's a problem. This has changed the church in areas such as preaching, actually. And that's why pastors won't touch certain subjects. Various, because various issues have confronted the church in the past two decades, such as abortion, homosexuality, politics, you name it. We have compromised on these things because we refuse to take the Bible at its word. All right. All right. And that, friends, means we're not living by known truth doctrine. No, we're not. Okay, let me tell you what we're doing. We're living our own blend or brand of Christianity. Because it's really a blend. We like blended. We're taught that today, blend. And I think that there are some reasons to blend certain, certain things. I think there's sometimes you never blend. You never blend. There are certain flavors you just never put together, ever. Right? Come on. And some of them blend. I mean, whoever thought the Reese Cup, brilliant. I got to let that, because I, I know you'll get that. I'll let that sink in a little bit. <laughs> but there are certain flavors you would never blend. You wouldn't put them in a candy bar or anything else. And if people did it, you'd be like, oh, come on, man. Right? So let's be, let's be honest about this whole thing. When we live our own blend of Christianity, we do so in order not to offend anyone with the truth of the word. And that's dangerous because it indicates that we are none of the things that we've just spoken about. These six things, we're none of those things. We're none of them if we do that. And it starts at the very beginning with conversion. <laughs> it really does, friends. Because if you're converted, all other, the other five things are going to fall into place. Boom, boom, boom. They will. Amen. That's right. And if, no, if those things aren't in place, I question number one right off the bat. Which means we're living a lie about Christianity. And if the church is going to survive in the last days, we're going to have to begin living the truth of Christianity. Amen. God said the church will survive. The gates of hell wouldn't stand against it. And so it will. But who's actually going to be in it? Great question. Amen? And as our worship person comes, we don't have a team today. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, John, that's right. I'm sorry. Our team is here. Here's the thing. We're going to have to remember the examples of all the Christians who stood and refused to compromise, regardless of what they were ordered to do, regardless of what society believed, regardless of what weaker Christians believed. And the question is, what will you do? You see, living by truthful doctrine really boils down to our attitude toward the Bible and our acceptance of it as our rule of faith and practice. Will the church accept it? Well, it depends on their attitude. Reception of truth, any truth, depends on the attitude that we take toward that truth. You understand? And if you don't want to believe it in the beginning, then you won't. 
But if you're really a truth seeker, which you should be, then you're going to have to be in the Word of God if you're a Christian. And this is where the, the weak Christians, who I think are never converted, this is where they fail. When they come to me and say they believe this and this is why, and they pick pieces out of the Bible, and I say, well, what about this and what about that? Well, well, what? It's in there too. You can't pick and choose. They just want to believe in the certain things that support what they want to do. That goes all the way back to conversion, my friends. Right there. Because you won't look at the Word of God and study it intently to know what the real truth is. The whole truth. All of it. How precious is the truth to you? And what will you do with it? What will you do about it? Because that's the, the real question. What you stand for today? Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.